0: Good morning Victory family and friends. This is the day that the Lord has made and we rejoice and we are glad in it. You know, when we were just getting uh, used to a year and two months into being Victory Church, what the setup looked like and the various teams operating in sync. Of course, then the pandemic hit this past March and we thought, well, God you're in control and you're gonna you're gonna continue building the church that 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 is beyond just these four walls that we that we meet in and no doubt uh everyone including the worship team that you just heard um, they just got to work and and figuring out how in this surreal space we could continue to not in the same way because nothing uh at all is a substitute for for the in-person corporate gathering together where we can embrace but uh but doing so in a way where we could still Uh, appreciate and enjoy the gifts through them for our particular congregation and beyond uh, and worship as unto the Lord through the songs that we were accustomed to hearing in person. And so that's a long way of saying worship team, God bless you. Thank you for your diligence in the word of God, out of which uh, we get to hear uh, and be led in worship in song through that gift uh, that he's given you as well. And so thank you. Thank you for being a disciple first and then allowing God to use your gifts as unto Him. Uh, we benefit, and, and all those who get to hear this morning and tune into YouTube get to as well. So, grateful for all of our worship team, grateful for all of you tuned in for these next 20, 25 or so minutes, and every volunteer, the victory group leaders who throughout the week uh, just very quietly but consistently gathering folks to ensure that we stay connected in this time of increased isolation, that we stay encouraged, that we stay built up, instructed, inspired, sharpened um, through the word of God. Thank you to all of you, to the AV team and the prayer team, and the list goes on. I may be the face in front of you each week, but trust that there are, uh, as the church should be, a team of people connected with each other, ensuring that our discipleship continues even in the midst of this incredibly surreal space and time. My privilege, though, is to serve as pastor of Victory Church of Charlottesville, uh, where we exist to see people reconciled to God and to each other. And if I haven't said it yet, my name is Paul, and it's good to be with you. Uh, we spend 29 minutes each Sunday morning um, just sharing the Word of God as a part of a larger sermon series for, uh, for the month. And in this month, we've been extending September series, uh, which was on the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do so today and if you would turn with me to the book of John chapter 20 and we're going to look at verses 19 through 22. John chapter 20 verses 19 through 22. And as you find that, uh, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. Uh, your word that is useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training up in righteousness. It's in you, we live, we move, and we have our being. And so our desire is for your word to be planted, uh, to be hidden in our hearts, um, such that we can apply it to our everyday lives and uh, as an offering to you every day, live um, for you and live in such a way that you would be pleased with our lives. And so help us today as we open your word, open our eyes so that we may see all, as the psalmist says, all of the wonderful things that are in your law. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. John chapter 20, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 22, and it reads this way, I'll be reading from the NIV. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The title of the message this morning is, Use Me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Before my bride, Taylor, and I were married, Reverend Beard of First Baptist on West Main Street right here in Charlottesville did some premarital counseling early 2005. After we were married, um, in August of 2005, I can remember doing small groups for married couples, probably for like the first two years straight and any time we could after that. In fact, we just finished one here at Victory. Um, and and in the Gospels, Mark chapter 10, verse 9, it says, related to marriage, that therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. And what we learned through premarital counseling, and we continue to learn through all of those small group classes, and we continue to learn Uh, 14 years later, did I just say 14 years? I did. 15 years later (laughs) is that we get to participate in that process of not letting anyone separate that which God has joined together. And that's where the fun is. We get to, to see how God wants to use us in the process. Now, if you've been at Victory for any length of time, you've heard me say time and time again that we get to participate in what we pray in Matthew six, right? The, the, the God's will on earth being done as it is in heaven. We have agency, there's opportunity. We are invited to participate even in our imperfect selves with a perfect God to bring about his will on earth. Whether it's marriage, whether it's raising a child, whether it's loving our neighbor, whether it is uh, promoting justice, uh, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And the reality for all of us at times is that fear related to our circumstances can both deflate our expectations of Jesus and can paralyze us in terms of our participating well, again, in seeing God's will on earth done as it is in heaven. And to that end, I want to ask kind of a two part question this morning and and have us reflect upon it. And that is, what do we expect Of Jesus and how do we expect him to use us and I want to talk through five things that Jesus does in this particular text that we read this morning and along the way just encourage you to uh, allow Jesus to use you in these particular ways right now in this season that we find ourselves in and so our text suggests a number of things but I'm gonna name five one that Jesus shows up two, Jesus columns Three, Jesus confirms. Four, Jesus breathes. And five, Jesus bids. Jesus shows up. Jesus calms. Jesus confirms. Jesus breathes. And Jesus bids. I know you're typically like, Paul, you have one point usually, maybe three, five. Yes, we're going to go briefly through these five points and trust that God will speak to us in terms of how we Um, expect of him to do these things and how we expect of him to use us to embody him in our sphere of influence. The Apostle John, some background. Um, Apostle John is believed to have written this book. uh, uh, If you're curious about the year, about A.D. 90 is what is said. uh, In the city of Ephesus of Asia and its purpose, which is stated more toward the end of the book of John, is, is to focus on the signs and the wonders of Jesus so that those who read it Would then believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In the 19th chapter, leading up to what we've read this morning, uh, Jesus describes uh, the death and burial of Jesus. And then in the 20th chapter, he begins with Mary Magdalene going to the tomb where Jesus was laid, only to notice that the stone had already been uncovered, it had been removed. Without even going in, Mary just went running off to tell Simon and John, Jesus is missing. Peter and John run to the tomb and they witness the truth of what Mary said. And then in verse nine, it says they still didn't quite understand what scripture uh, uh, from scripture that Jesus had said to rise, that he was going to rise from the dead. And so after they go back, Mary's outside the tomb crying when the two angels actually come to her and, and ask her in so many words, why are you crying? And then as she's answering them, she turns around and sees Jesus, who then asks similar questions. Why are you crying? What are you looking for, Mary? Not realizing it's him. She's thinking, actually, it's the gardener. She asked him, where may the body of Jesus be? Where did they lay the body? And then Jesus calls her by name, Mary, Mary. Immediately, Jesus then turns or Mary turns towards Jesus and she cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus tells her then not to try to hold on to him because he hadn't yet ascended to the father and that she should instead go and tell that he is going to be ascending to the father. And so run, she does go straight to the site to disciples with all of this news that she had seen the Lord Jesus. And then that's where we pick up here in the 19th verse where Jesus is now appearing to his disciples for the first time after having been risen. But before he appears, it says the disciples were sitting in a room. The door is locked. They're afraid uh, of, the Jewish, of the Jewish leaders, which, you know, given the events of that time wasn't exactly uncommon. If you can remember the blind man in, in, in the Gospels, when um, the Jewish leaders came to inquire of the parents and they were like, ask him, because <laughs> they already knew. Right. They knew that it was said if anybody confessed Jesus, that that he that he was the Messiah, that they would be put out of the synagogue. John chapter 12, verse 42 says it's that there were those even in authority who believed in him, but only secretly. So the disciples were, were understandably, if I may say, fearful. The door is locked. But the disciples, unlike those that I just referenced in that other story in the Gospels, had just heard from Mary and other women, by the way, uh, uh, as well as men on the road to Emmaus, according to Luke 24, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And yet fear had filled their hearts. Filled their hearts so much that they couldn't even, uh, to the degree or extent that faith couldn't find any room in there. Luke 24, 11 says it this way. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Has there ever been a time that we've ignored the truth? This is kind of an aside. We've ignored the truth because of the vessel that God used to bring that word to us. Which brings us to the first point. Jesus shows up here. The disciples are sitting in this locked room, fearful, and Jesus comes in and he stands amidst them. And if we can be honest, we can be just like the disciples at time. Jesus is saying he's on the way and we're surprised still when he shows up. Kind of like that friend that you say, hey, I need you to come at this time, which is 30 minutes earlier, actually, than the time you need that person to be there. And then when they get there 30 minutes early, you're actually surprised. Many of us could be just like that at Jesus's arrival, though he says he's coming. Jesus told them, the disciples, prior to his going to the cross, what was to happen. In fact, what had to happen. And yet they seemed somewhat surprised the disciples did at his arrival. And I pray that that is encouraging to both you and to me, because I believe that God wants to show up for us today, right now, in this season of supposed famine on a lot of different fronts particularly in those spaces, and sometimes we're the only ones who know those spaces in our lives that are locked, locked due to fear, anxiety, whatever it might be, due to some earthly condition that we are uh, in the midst of that he's already told us he's overcome. I must say as a parenthetical toward that end, given the season that we are in, this is not me Suggesting nor advising for us to be reckless. As it relates to COVID, particularly, more, uh, you know, for example, let's wear a mask. Science and faith are not mutually exclusive. Let's be wise. Jesus calls us to be such. But in those spaces where fear has overwhelmed, He wants to come in. Whether it's a child that's gone astray, Some of us have experienced that, whether it's a marriage that seems hopeless, a job that it seems like on which we are being preyed upon at every turn. We can expect Jesus to show up on time, every time. And if you're sitting in your living room or at your kitchen table, um, in front of your house, wherever you're sitting here right now, and you've heard God say that, You know what? I'm coming to your life in this particular way. It could have been 20 years ago. I don't know. But you've heard him say that. I want us to collectively, on the altars of our heart, declare afresh today that fear will not paralyze us and lock us, if you will, in the metaphorical room, believing anything different. Isaiah 55 and 11 says his word will not return empty, but it's going to accomplish what he desires and it's going to achieve that that for which it had been sent. So the text says, then he stood in their midst. And the Greek translation of that implies that he was standing in such a way that established his presence among them. How many of you know that just his presence alone brings with it a fullness of joy, Scripture says. Even in the midst of chaos that may be ongoing, his presence can bring healing. In his presence, there can be deliverance. It's why David said in Psalm 27 and 4, there's only one thing that I desire, that will I seek after, to dwell in the presence, the house, the, the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. It's why Matthew six thirty-three says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. And so how might you, how might I carry then the presence of of God into the lives of others in our sphere of influence, particularly those who are struggling to trust Jesus, to be who he says he is, and to meet them in the midst of their challenges. How might we carry, bear the image of God, carry his presence into the lives of those in this season, especially who might find difficulty on a number of fronts. After establishing his presence, Jesus then says, peace be with you. Second point, he calms. He calms. And him saying peace be with you is a fulfillment of the promise given in John chapter 14, verse 27, which says, peace I, have, I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace be with you. And when Jesus speaks, chaos has to calm Matthew chapter eight, when it talks about him calming the storm, and it says, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now, I know you and I, when we're speaking without the Holy Spirit saying calm down to somebody that's actually antithetical, it's the opposite. It has the opposite effect. Like, don't tell me to calm down. And yet when Jesus speaks, chaos has to cease. And I don't know. What particular area of your life is chaotic in this moment today? That I imagine and 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 on some fronts know, given the myriad conversations uh from family to friends to colleagues to whomever, that there's a lot of chaos to go around. And wherever that is, Jesus wants to speak peace into your situation today, peace into relationships. Peace, especially in this season, in our minds and in our hearts. Peace, even after incomprehensible loss that you've experienced in the midst of this pandemic, as if the loss of such communication and interaction wasn't enough. Some of us have experienced compounding loss. In the midst of that, God is saying, peace be with you. And what this challenged me almost in the in my gut, when I was just praying, I said, God, what do people hear when I speak? What do they hear when words come out of my mouth or my presence physically is in their space? What's heard from my life? How might the Lord use me? How might the Lord use you to bring calm? And if I can make a suggestion this morning, it would be to make room for the Holy Spirit to breathe on our speech. The Holy Spirit will make even the things that come out wrongly. As a high school counselor, I can tell you too many stories of what I said that was so awful and wrong. Just 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 seemed like I wasn't trained at all. And God's grace and the Holy Spirit would cover it in such a way that there would be fruit born, which is another reminder that it ain't me it's always God and his Holy Spirit at work. And with the whole and on the other side, conversely, without the Holy Spirit, we might even be right in what we're saying. And yet there's division and there's chaos and there are problems again, evidence of man, I know I'm right, but it is just not seasoned at all with the Holy spirit. May the Holy spirit breathe afresh on what we speak orally and with our lives. So many challenges to be endured right now. So many, um, I was recently scrolling through, um, <sighs> Facebook. I think it was particularly, um, uh, timelines of New York family and friends from back in March and April. I just kind of just kind of went back to that to that time because it seemed surreal, and it still does. Right, I'm looking through timelines of friends and cousins, and literally three to four people a day. I remember going to my wife and just saying, "Babe, another one, another one, uh, just leaving this earth, departing this life, due specifically to COVID-19." Three to four people a day. That was, and very still is, kind of unreal. To me boggles my mind. And then I remember, uh, and I was again scrolling through to be reminded, but I remembered a good friend of mine that I grew up with since like elementary school. My uncle were suffering and dealing with complications due to COVID. And at some point in that process of just just trying to wrap my brain around what's what is happening here. It was as Jesus literally just came alongside and said, I'm here. My presence is here. In this chaotic moment, peace be with you. Can I tell you something about that moment then and, and that extends even to now? A lot of it was communicated through people as I was going through those very timelines. There were words from some family members in particular, cousins who were grieving uh, understandably so, on one hand, these the number of folks every day being lost and at the same time declaring the word of God. So they weren't like far removed from it and speaking from some lofty place of never having experienced or maybe not being in the midst. They were in the midst of it themselves, living in the state I grew up in, in the midst of it, and yet declaring the word of God. And through them, it was as if Jesus was saying to me, I'm here, peace be with you. How might he use you? How might he use me to speak calm? Because Jesus, he calms. May it be so, Lord, that you would use all of us right now when we see who's not on the Zoom calls, when we see who may not show up to the small groups, when we see who may be downcast in a virtual meeting, when we see or don't see that loved one jump on the family calls if you have them. How might God use us To speak calm in the midst of what may be ongoing chaos, which I know is quite prevalent in this space and time. And when we speak, to pull in 1 Peter 4, because I'm always reminded of how when we speak, may we speak the words of God, serving out of the strength that he provides. Because no doubt we are in the midst of all of this ourselves. And so you may be asking, how can I with With all that I'm already dealing with speak, God help us, 1 Peter 4, to serve out of the strength you provide, speaking words that you would speak. And in our text, Jesus goes a little bit further to identify himself because according to Luke 24 and 37, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And similarly, we might feel like or it might seem like we're seeing a ghost when 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 it's declared to us or when you're declaring to others uh the word of god in the midst of what looks like the opposite we may get that very look back to us like what are you talking about maybe that's us saying it to those speaking that into our lives right now what are you talking about i'm seeing a ghost but now jesus reveals the evidence of who he is confirming his identity which brings us to this third point of jesus confirms nail pierced hands Spear, pierce side. He says in Luke 24, 39, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And may I be the only one in here. (laughs) Oh, hopefully not the only one. I may be the only one in here that that believes for whom God in his infinite mercy has had to confirm his identity for me when I fail to recognize him. Maybe that's just me. And let's be real. Sometimes I don't even want to. I didn't want to recognize him in those moments, right? I'm just like, no, just let me be where I'm at. I'm mad. I'm angry. I don't even want to see Jesus because then I'm going to have to repent. <laughs> but in his infinite mercy, not wanting to recognize him, not being able to, failing for whatever reason, fear or anxiety or whatever's gripping my mind and my thoughts, Jesus reveals and confirms his identity. And right now, with all of this isolation, The persisting personal difficulty, it may be tough for you or your neighbor to recognize Jesus. It's one of many reasons why we talk about small groups here at Victory Church so much as a part of our discipleship process. We need each other, especially now where you can find yourselves isolated and withdrawn, even in just struggling to see your own life clearly and make decisions for your own life, let alone, God, let me see you so that those decisions can be informed by you. It helps to have others consistently in our sphere of influence to remind us of Jesus' goodness in our lives, to remind us of God's word and the many examples of how and why his word is true. The same yesterday, today and forever. And let me speed here to a conclusion, if I may take a few minutes to get to the fourth and fifth point. Use me, Lord. His disciples here then were overjoyed fulfilling the promises spoken of in John chapter 16 and 20, which says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then after confirming his identity, he says again in the 21st verse, knowing they didn't quite get it the first time, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you to be clear, when he was sent, he wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, John 3 and 17 says. Similarly, our jobs, my job, your job, our opportunity, our privilege is to be salt and light in our sphere of influence such that God, not us, is glorified through our good deeds. And with that, we'll come to our fourth and fifth points that I'll abbreviate. But the fourth one is Jesus breathes. And that breathe on is is. It's an interesting space. I'll just say it's mentioned a few other times in scriptures. In Genesis chapter 2, it's mentioned when he breathed on Adam and Adam became a living soul. It's mentioned again in Ezekiel 37 in the the Valley of Dry Bones where it said God's breath of life was breathed into them. The ultimate goal of Christ appearing really is to allow them to be birthed by the Spirit by breathing life into them, breathing life into us. It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, up to this point, uh, as per John chapter 7 39, the Spirit had yet to be given. So may we too then be conduits through whom the Holy Spirit now can breathe. Breathe. Where there's some metaphorical sort of difficulty to get the oxygen mass on themselves. Holy Spirit, use us to breathe you into others. So Jesus breathes, he makes the Holy Spirit available, and lastly, he then bids. Jesus suggests, he urges, he calls upon to receive the Holy Spirit, suggesting that our participation isn't passive. In the Greek, the word receive means to claim or to take oneself or to give access to oneself. And so when we give the third person of the triune God, whom we've been discussing now for close to two months the person identified with the Father and the Son, that being the Holy Spirit, when there's full access given to the Holy Spirit, to our lives, we can expect, we can expect that he will speak to us. He'll intercede for us. He'll teach us. He'll guide us. He'll empower us to do even greater things, as John 14 and 12 says. But not by power, not by might, as we spoke of a few weeks ago, Zechariah 4 and 6 says, but by the Holy Spirit. In our living a spirit-filled life, we can expect perhaps the unexpected, if you will. And so may we today, family, receive the Holy Spirit. And Lord, please use us. Use us to help those in our sphere of influence sustained, be consoled to see you clearly at a time where it could be incredibly difficult to do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. We thank you for the word of God every single day that you get us to break open in in these bite-sized ways so that we can just, on a daily basis, digest that which you have for us for this season and this time. I pray that this word would, would drop the 18 inches from our heads where maybe it's been for a long time. Yes, God, I know you're present. Yes, I know you want me to, to be used. Yes, I know you've called me to the nation. Yes, 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 yes. Maybe we know in our heads, may it drop the 18 inches to our heart, settle in such a way that our eyes would be open even more so in this season to see those in our sphere of influence that need your breath, that need your bidding, that need your calming, that need your coming. Use us, Lord, even amidst the very challenges that we are facing, though not minimizing and recognizing the need for our own refueling, our own filling station. Lord, yes, we recognize that, and we recognize that it's us being filled so that it can run through us to those who are having difficulty accessing that same filling. Use us, Lord. I pray particularly this morning, God, for the mental health of our community in a very real sense uh, it's a curated space that the the enemy would love nothing more than to use to disrupt and discourage and and destroy and yet we trust you God to to work in and through us and the resources you've placed in our hands to not just survive but to thrive And by your Holy Spirit, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I declare that each of us would be conduits that bring life to our brothers and sisters in our sphere of influence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Uh, Believe it or not, we are cutting this even shorter than what uh, is left to share, but I, I just wanted to at least emphasize on this back end that which was... Hopefully articulated through this particular text, um, we're all going through something and and there's so many things being reinforced in this space and time, uh one of which is a reminder of who the church is and what church actually is um though I hate that it takes a pandemic for that to really be realized but but that that notwithstanding, given the challenges that are being faced all around us. I'm praying, I am beckoning, I am begging, uh, admonishing for you to consider how God will use you to pull others from the brink of whatever disaster they might be at today. And that's not a pessimistic overall sort of outlook as much as it is one that says, Jesus, I hear you. (laughs) I hear you and I want you to use us to bring life. Use us. To to be reminders of what Romans 8 talks about and that we are more than conquerors. Through you, when circumstances might dictate and influence in unimaginable ways other outcomes, God, may you impress upon our hearts to preach in our lives and orally otherwise that your promises are still sure. Amen. I'll stop there. Family. We're going to live in victory, and we're going to live on the altar, thankfully, again, that our worship team uh, that I'll play here in a moment has continued to encourage, and I've had it on repeat uh, during this pandemic, uh, encouraging us to to be on the altar. So let's live in victory, family. Have a great day and have a great week.